Okay, well, take your Bible this morning. We started a new series in the book of Hebrews. If you'd stand in honor of God's word, Hebrews in chapter number one, we'll go back and reread the verses, the first three verses that really we covered last week. And we'll give reference to them again uh, as we're getting started. Fulfilled in Christ. Fulfilled in Christ. All the Old Testament pointing forward to the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and was fulfilled in him. And uh, the only way that you'll be fulfilled in this life is in him, fulfilled in him. And so the writer of Hebrews, who might believe to be Paul, is writing to these Hebrew Christians, these uh, Jewish uh, saints, these Jewish Christians that were under a lot of pressure from their culture and society, and like we are in many ways. And so we're giving attention to this, and, um, and I, I love it. It's like the song, I thought about this too, with the choir song, When He Comes Again. Uh, songs like that really do honor and uplift and exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what the book of Hebrews does. So what we're going to do is we're going to read chapter 1. We're only, really only going to focus on verses 4 through 8. Okay, that's going to be our unit. But I'm actually going to keep going into chapter number 2. Okay, for just a little bit, probably, probably through verse number three, if I'm remembering right. Yes, that's correct. So we'll go through verse number three of chapter two. That way we get a little bit of where he's going with this. Okay, does that help? Great. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days, which we're living in, I don't know if it's the last of the last days, but according to this, we're in the last days, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. You see why we're going to review that a little bit? It's powerful. It's all about our Savior, Jesus Christ. So really that idea continues on into verse number four, although we begin a major unit now as we come officially to verse number five. Being made so much better than the angels as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Four, under which of the angels said he at any time, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee? And the answer is none, right? asking a question. And again, so this is quotation of scriptures. I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, he's mounting up evidence here. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, and let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels, he saith, of the angels, he saith, who maketh his angels, spirits, and his ministers, a flame of fire. But unto the Son, 
Okay, so that was an Old Testament quotation out of Psalm 104. This is now in verse 8, an Old Testament quotation out of Psalm 45. But unto the Son, he saith, thy throne, O God. You see it? The deity of Jesus Christ on very clear display. Thy throne, O God. Unto the Son, he said that is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands, thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall wax old as doth the garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and thou shalt, they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years fail not. Amen. Shall not fail, sorry. Verse number uh, 13. But to which of the angels, he's still in that unit. In fact, actually the unit on angels goes all the way to the end of chapter 2. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? He didn't say that to any angel. That's Psalm 110, verse 1. That was said to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14, are they not all, he's referencing the angels now, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest what? Heed. Okay, do you see that? I wanted you to see it as we got into it. Therefore, because of this, what he said about the angels and who the Son is, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For, watch this now, watch verse 2, very, very carefully right here. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast... And every transgression and disobedience receive a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape? If we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. So if they didn't get away with it and it was the words of angels, how much more, how can we escape? We've heard the Lord. And those that preached and confirmed what he said. Okay. So the message title today is simply this, the supremacy of the son of God. Last week, it was the glory of the son of God. This week, it's the supremacy, the supremacy of the son of God. He's not just a messenger. He's the message. I want you to think about that here with me, would you please? As you're seated, may God bless and use for his honor and glory his word as we consider it together here. <clears throat> Made a couple of visits uh, yesterday, really enjoyed those. One to the home of the Callies, Brother Royce, Miss Shelley, longtime members here at Southwest, and just a good, delightful um, visit. Got to know a little bit about both of them and their work and. And in particular, Brother Royce sharing uh, just how much uh, times have changed since he was working. And uh, anyways, I don't need to give his age, but um, if you've worked with computers, you know what I'm talking about. 
since the 80s, how much things have changed, right? Leading up to that. Uh, same with Brother J.C. Baird. And uh, we were both amazed. I don't have a, a thumb drive or zip drive on me, but how that used to be when he was working with computers, massive rooms containing information that now is on a little thumb drive. And he says, I understand. I, I he had studied it. I mean, he's trained in that area. And he said, I, but I, I don't understand how it all is just right there. So the advance of technology, uh, you know, as Brother Royce was sharing with us, he started out, you know, with basically some accounting type stuff, a ledger, the old, the old ledger, remember the ledgers? <laughs> I mean, I remember when I went to Bible college, my pastor sat down with me and he said, now listen, just because you, you have this much money in the bank doesn't mean you have this much money. You're trying to help me with budgeting. That was actually very helpful that, you know, you got bills coming up that you, so don't spend it all. Amen. But he showed me a 13 column budget, you know, I mean, old school, you know, and so now, you know, use Excel and other programs, you know, and such, but um, it's doing the same thing. It's the same basis, the same idea. Uh, okay, when I started in high school, I'm dating myself big time right here a little bit. Uh, I mean, Angie and I in high school, we learned to type on a typewriter, an electric typewriter. You know, the, the whiteout would jump up, you know, when you push. The, some of you don't even know what whiteout is. That's concerning, right? So anyways, <laughs> typewriter, early computer, massive, expensive, expensive, uh, uh, floppy disk. Yeah. Remember that? <laughs> but now, I mean, you, most of you have your computer with you, your cell phone. It's incredible. So the older computers, the ledgers, they serve their time. They serve their time. But, but when um, new advances in technology came, it was time to update. And I struggle with that. I mean, do you? I mean, I, you know, I'm, my phone is working fine. Why do I need an update? You know, anyways, I, I get it. I understand that. But when, when uh, the advances, come, by, by the way, this is a little side note here. Not all advancement in technology is good advancement. That's not the message. That's a qualifier to this illustration in the message. But from that, you know, the old computers, the typewriters, and I mean, let alone, should we get into cars and old model cars and, and, uh, and all that? Well, I mean, the idea is the same. You're going from point A to point B, but now you're just doing it a lot faster, a lot more power. The law and the prophets, the law and the prophets, the books of Moses, the five first books of the Old Testament, the prophets. They serve the purpose that God intended them to serve. And they still continue to do so. I'm not saying, neither is the writer of Hebrews saying, you should be done with the law and the prophets. No, not at all. That's not what he's saying at all. But he is saying this, they pointed to Christ, the fulfillment of the law, and it's time to update. If you allow the analogy. Now that he has come and fulfilled the role of Messiah, they should no longer hold on to the old in the sense that they want to go back to 
the sacrifices and the priesthood and the temple and all that they were wanting to go back to. And so the writer of this particular letter, which really writes as a sermon, is addressing their tendency to hold on to the old uh, because of familiarity, because of a lack of uh, persecution that was coming against the Jews and it was coming against Christians. There are other reasons that we'll get into as we get a little bit further in the book of Hebrews, but it was also this, those were and are authoritative words. It is an authoritative message. There's nothing in the book of Hebrews that is negating anything in the Old Testament. Is everybody clear on that? Before we move on, I want to make, make sure that, that we're not saying that these things are obsolete. I mean, in fact, Paul is saying, hey, the law is not obsolete. It's not like we don't have anything to do with that anymore. No, the law points us to Christ. Okay, so that's still in effect in that sense. But praise his holy name. We no longer offer up the blood of bulls and goats and, and, and lambs. No, because the finished work of Jesus Christ has come and is done. And there's no longer the Old Testament priesthood because he is our high priest and we are priests unto God. So there's a lot of things that we're going to cover in the course of this. But, but the, the point that he's right, making right here is that they were wanting to hold on to what was said by the angels. The messages, they were messengers and, and they were used. We're going to get into that. I don't think, as I've studied this out a little bit further, I don't think that they were struggling with the worship of angels, although some of that took place. Colossians chapter 2 and, and uh, verse number 18 it is, he addressed that, Paul did, that you're not to worship angels. Now, there might be some of the Jews who were worshiping of angels. I'm not saying that that was not the case, but I don't think that's even his point in this passage. Although I think it does us good to say a word about angels. Because there's a lot of confusion today about angels. I'm uh, using a, a commentary by a man named George Guthrie. I don't know much about him, but he wrote in the late 90s, actually. And he said that as he was getting ready to come to this passage about uh, angels and such, that he and his wife were at a, a bookstore where they frequented and they were at a cafe. So you might think about, you know, something like modern times where you got a little cafe and books that you can peruse and while you're enjoying that. And so he, th he thought, you know, I'm just going to go and see what does the religious section of this secular library or bookstore, how much do they have on the topic of angels? And to his surprise, this secular bookstore had 80 Five books on angels. Angels. Such as the title such as this. Angels A to Z. Know your angels. Another title. Ask your angels. Angelic healing. Angelic voices. Angels. An endangered species. Um... They didn't count real well. There's a bunch of them. They're not endangered. They're around the throne. Thousands and ten thousands and thousands of thousands. Not endangered. In case you're concerned. <laughs> and uh, hang on. Meditating with angels. It's no wonder we're messed up as a society. Right? And then he said his favorite. Big George. The autobiography of an angel. 
What is that? Michael, I've heard of. Gabriel, I've heard of. Big George, never heard of him. So we're not here today to uh, solve all the world's problems with angels. But let me clear up a few things. They don't sit on clouds playing harps. People do not become angels. And they don't get their wings every time a bell rings. So anyways, sorry. So while there could have been some issues with angels, I don't really think that that's his main point. His main point because of the context is he says, God who in sundry times and in divers manners spake in times past by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us. And then in chapter number two, if you took heed to the words of angels, how much more should you take heed to the word of the son of God? So really the issue is more on revelation. Is everybody with me right here? It's more on the revelation of God, what God is showing us. By the way, he's the God who spoke and thus he's the God who speaks. And his word still stands today. So the real issue at hand is one, listen to this, of authority. Whose word will you take as authoritative? Uh, what, what was it uh, when E.F. E. Hutton speaks? Yeah, everybody listens. Is that how it is? Man, that, that, that was blast from the past since we're in the 80s. All right. So there's, it's a matter of authority. Uh, to whom do we give credence? To whom do we give uh, weight? Who, who has a, a weighty word about this? So they were rightfully given attention to the Old Testament and things that were contained therein and even what was connected to angels. Now, you got to stay with me. We got to see why they would have made that connection because it's, it's not extra biblical. It's, it's right there in the word. And, and so, but, but they would give message, weight to the message of angels. But how about the credence that they ought to give to the one who created the angels? So... For us, the, the answer may seem obvious. Well, obviously, Jesus is greater than the angels. Nobody here would, unless you wrote the book, Big George, an autobiography of angels, I don't think anybody here would try to make a case, the angels are greater than Jesus. No, that's blasphemous. But we all are in a continued crisis over the matter of authority that has raged since Genesis chapter three. When the ser serpent said to Adam or said to Eve, yea, hath God said. So this issue of authority, we have a lot of commonality here. In case you think, I don't have any problems with angels. I don't have any problems saying that Jesus is greater than angels. But I guarantee you this, something vies for Jesus' rank and authority in your life. Just like it does in mine. Let me ask you a few questions here as we get started. Is Jesus and his message the most influential message in your life? Is Jesus and his message the most influential person and message in your life? Theologically, we know what to say. 
Yes. Yes. Jesus and his message is the most influential message in my life. Yes. But practically. And at a certain moment of this past week. Okay, what if we pulled a screen down and we showed your week and your words and your actions? Okay, how about your thoughts? Now I wonder if, practically speaking, is Jesus the most influential person in your way you think and you act in the way that you speak? I think that changes it for all of us, doesn't it? I think you would agree that, yes, we have the same challenge here. How does Jesus' authority rank in your life? Does anyone or anything rank higher in your life in all practical concerns? Or does Jesus have indeed the supremacy in your life? Well, if anybody needs to hear that message, then you can go ahead and stay. If anybody else is saying, no, I don't really struggle with that, then you're free to go. See anybody moving. <laughs> Even if you thought about moving, you're not moving now, but <laughs> they'd lost sight. Just like you and I can. They'd lost sight of his glory. And when you lose sight of his glory, friend, listen, you don't worship him like you ought to worship him. And you don't serve him like you ought to serve him. In fact, when you don't view him in all of his glory, serving him feels more like a burden than a privilege. But when we understand who he is and we know who we are and we know how gracious he has been to us, hey, serving him is a high honor and a high privilege. God is not silent. God has spoken. And what we have before us in the consideration of these verses is the demonstration that Jesus, the Son of God, is the premier form of revelation of God to us because he himself is God. Jesus said even uh, to Thomas and uh, uh, to Philip and his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now he's distinct from the Father, but in essence, he is also God. You have three distinct persons in one, one being, one God. And a lot of that is what they were struggling with as Jews because they were monotheistic. And it was, it was really a challenge for them to demonstrate that Jesus is God. But friend, listen, just because it is a challenge for us to demonstrate that or to wrap our brains around that does not change the fact that he is indeed not an angel, not a created being. Cults teach that Jesus is created. Cults teach that he's the brother of Lucifer. Cults teach that he's less than God. No, the Bible very clearly declares that Jesus is none other than God Almighty. He is the Lord. Jehovah. We testify, we witness to the fact that Jesus is Jehovah. It said of John the Baptist that he would come and prepare the way of the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, which is out of Isaiah chapter number 40. And, and the Lord all caps there is Jehovah. So John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, came to proclaim that Jehovah is coming and Jesus is Jehovah. Now that's very important, quite significant. And what the writer of Hebrews does over and over here and what we're going to do, and I pray that you grow not weary of it because we need to hear it on a regular basis, that it places his strength and his glory beside our weakness and our frailties and our shortcomings. 
that cause us to trust more in him than we do in ourselves. That cause us to see we have no reason to forsake him no matter. I said we have no reason to forsake him and his congregation no matter come what may. Why is that? Well, if you allow me just to review verses one through four here and in, in, in really just two and three, he's the heir of all things. He made the worlds. By him was all things created. He is the brightness of the Father's glory. He's the express image of his person. He upholds all things by the word of his mouth. I can't keep myself together. Can you? But he upholds all things by the word of his mouth. He purged our sins. See, verse number three is very critical because it is the last part of it. It is talking about that redemptive work that Jesus did. He is the creator who died for his creation. And is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Verse four is what I'd like to refer to as a swing verse. It finishes the first prologue, verses one through four is really a unit, but then it begins the second part as he goes into this discussion about angelic beings. If you look at it with me again, being. So since he is, since he has purged our sins, everybody follow me right here. Since he has finished the work of redemption and is set down on the majesty on high, he has made so much better than the angels. Not that he wasn't beforehand. That's not what he's saying. Never, ever, ever was there a time that he was inferior to the angelic beings. But in chapter number two, it says that he made himself lower than the angels because he came and dwelt here for you and I. And so being made so much better than the angels as by an inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So the main verb here is in verse number three that he sat down. So here is telling what happened as a result of his finished work. He has a better name than the angels. Again, it does not mean that he was inferior to them at any time. But that which was, watch this, that which was previously true about him has been made abundantly clear by his finished work. Is that fair enough? What was previously true about him has been demonstrated. Any illustration I give right here is gonna be so inferior to who he is. But you know, sometimes there can be a lot of hype about somebody that comes up in the world of sports and then when he gets to that, that arena, it was just hype. Now, along the way, there are those, they say, man, this guy in high school, he's, he's knocking balls uh, out of the park, literally, up, up near Tulsa. There's a young man that was there in Spavanaugh, Oklahoma, that was knocking uh, home runs deep, not just out of the park, but across the river that was behind the park. Knocking him out of the park right-handed, and then knocking him out of the park left-handed at age 16. And a talent scout from the New York Yankees came to this young man that was from Commerce, Oklahoma, and said to him, listen, when you finish high school, you got a place with the New York Yankees. Now, that young man's name was Mickey Mantle, and he proved to be what they thought he might be. 
Okay, but that doesn't always happen, humanly speaking. But listen, friend, we're not talking about a mere mortal man. We're talking about the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. And what he was thought to be in the eternity past, he was revealed to be in time present when he was on this earth. And now that he's exalted and his name is above every name, listen, it is proving that what he has always been, he always shall be and is today. Mercy. He's got a name that's above every name. Some speculate and wonder, what is that name? Well, it tells us right there in the verse. It tells us right there in the context. You don't have to wonder about all that. It just simply says this, God has spoken to us by his son. And then in chapter number two, it declares that his name is the son. So what's his name? The son, the son of God. That's his name. Verse one of chapter two, sorry, Chapter one, chapter one, verse two, chapter one, verse five, it's made clear that it's the son. So the sonship, while he's on the earth, takes it to another level in the sense that he fulfilled the role of Messiah and finished the work of redemption. In fact, I like what one man named David Allen said. He said, what the son was in himself before all time is now contrasted with what he has become after the atoning work, seated at the right hand of God, exalted above all angels. In other words, it's saying basically what I tried to illustrate just a moment ago, that what he has always been now is made very clear and evident to all. He's exalted son of God. Now, angels. Look at it then in verse number five. For which of the angels said he at any time? Let me, let me just take a little excursion here. Uh, angels, they are created. They're created. They're not eternal like Jesus is. Satan's not eternal like Jesus is. He was a created being. He's a fallen angel. What day were they created? I, I don't know, but early, early on, I'd say in the, in the six days of creation as they, they sang at the foundation of the earth. And so you have them represented sometimes as the sons of God. Sons, plural, never son. Because there's only one that takes that rightful place. They are many in number. Moses saw a great multitude at Mount Sinai. In fact, in Deuteronomy 33, 2, are, are we doing all right? Is everybody following along so far? I'm talking to you right now about angels. We'll get back to Jesus as the son. But the angels, they were in great in number, not in danger of extinction as well, as we've already nailed down. Moses saw them in great number at Sinai. Deuteronomy 33, 2, 10,000s of saints. Doesn't mean men. No, it means angels. Angelic beings, there is, as Mount Sinai is, is illuminated in the smoking and where Moses received the law. That's, that's why they're struggling with this. Uh, Elisha, Elisha is in his servant. His servant is tore up because there's this great multitude that's coming against them. And he says to his servant, uh, there's more with us than there are with them. And he looked at Elisha and he looked at himself. There's two of us and look at all of them. And Elisha prayed, God, would you open his eyes? And he opened up his eyes and he saw on the mountains that there were chariots of fire, the angelic beings. Hey, I might remind you today that our God is the Lord of hosts. A myriad number of angelic beings. David talked about it in Psalm 68, verse 17, thousands of angels. In fact, when our Savior came to the earth, a multitude of the heavenly hosts 
proclaim the, the fact the Messiah had come. And in fact, if you just look in Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 11 and then verse number 12, it talks about 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Somebody do some quick math right here. 10,000 times 10,000. And in fact, he said, I can't count them all. Thousands of thousands of angelic beings, seraphims, cherubims around the throne of the Lamb of God that was slain around the, land, the throne where Jesus is. And they're bowing in Jesus' presence and saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. You can't make a case that they are greater than he. They know their place. Wow. So, why are they all hung up on this? The Jews. Well, angels have been a part of their history since the Garden of Eden. The cherubims kept the way lest they'd come back into the Garden of Eden. The cherubims there. Brother Ted just taught out of Genesis 18, the two angels along with Jehovah. We don't have time for all this, do we? The angels that drug Lot and his family out. The angels that were ascending and descending on the, on, on the, the, the ladder, not Jacob's. Sorry, it's just not Jacob's ladder. He didn't have a thing to do with it. It was God manifesting himself to Jacob. But those angels going up and going down, the angelic beings there, and the angel that encouraged and helped Elisha, and the angels that cried, holy, holy, holy. And Jesus talked about the angels. So angels are real. They're created by God. And, and evidently, as we read in Deuteronomy, and, I, and time would fail us this morning to, to reference all even the New Testament, but in, in Acts chapter number seven, it references how the angels which spake to him in the Mount Sinai, so the angels were associated and connected with the giving of the law. I can't explain all that. I just simply know that that's what they pointed out in Galatians chapter number nine, three and verse number 19, as well as right here in our very own text in Hebrews chapter number two. The angels in some form or fashion were involved in the giving of the law. And the Hebrews looked at this and said basically this, how in the world can we give up the, the authoritative word that the angels delivered to us? Does that make sense to you? I can see why they'd struggle with that. Wouldn't you? But the writer's not insisting that they would leave the law behind. He's insisting that their loyalty would be toward the one that the law pointed to. And thus he says to which of the angels, he's making the case. Okay, now we're back to Jesus. Everybody still with me here? To which of the angels did he say, thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, not one. That, that's a quote out of Psalm 2. To which the son angels did he say in verse number five, I will be a, to him a father, he shall be to me a son. That's in 2 Samuel chapter seven, verse 14. He didn't say that to any angels. He said that to David and his descendants, but he's referencing mainly Jesus as the Messiah, the promised son of David. Again, he bringeth the first begotten into the world. He saith, let all the angels of God worship him. Well, that right there shows you that he's, he's above angels because the angels worship him. He made his angels a spirit, ministers of fire. They're, minister, they're ministering spirits. They're a flame of fire. The idea here is that they know their role. They are servants. He is king. They are servants. 
In fact, just to make it real clear, verse number eight, unto the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is established. So right there you see, yes, we should not dis discard how the angels were involved in God's revelation to man. But what Jesus said and who Jesus is, is of greater significance and more supreme is he is in a place of supremacy above the angels. So listen, don't throw out what you heard from those, but listen, you need to pay attention to what the son tells you. Okay. So what's going on here is Paul's exhorting these Jewish believers to receive the revelation of the son because it was superior to the revelation that was received by the angels. That's it. He says, listen, it's good that you received that revelation that God used those angels and the prophets to deliver, but now he's spoken to us by his son. So you need to give more credence to him than you do to what they were pointing towards or the fact that they were pointing that direction, not, not to take away anything from that. So how does that relate to us here right now? Let me, let me say this to you. Don't be infatuated with a lesser source when you have the supreme source of revelation in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what he's driving towards in chapter number two is he says, we ought to give the more earnest heed lest we let this slip. Because if the word of angels was, was spoken and there was transgression and disobedience that was recompensed then, how do you think it's going to be now since the son has not only spoken to us, but he is the message. He's not just, the mess, he's not just a messenger, he is the message. Now, we're so messed up in our society at large that it's not like we're struggling even with the Old Testament. As a society, we're just struggling to get in the Bible in the first place. And sadly... So many people are looking for life's answers in all the wrong sources. Supposed authorities are nearly on every hand, certainly on every website. Psychics, New Age religions, you say, oh, this is something that was going on in the 60s and 70s when people were tripping out. No, it's today. Eastern religions, mysticism, Scientology, the occult, religious leaders, communist leaders, socialism on the rise in our own country. Our own country. People giving credence to what Marx said rather than what Jesus said. Science, holding science above Scripture. Hey, science, Scripture doesn't, doesn't go against science. The Bible reveals what is scientific. And yet, so-called scientists propose ideas about life that are far from the truth. But let me ask you this. To whom do you turn for answers in life? You know, the world can make you uh, feel like you have an inferior source 
when you actually have a supreme source, the supreme source. Some highly paid executive can make you feel foolish for giving so much money to God's work. Man, they're in Fortune 500. I mean, they're, they're on the roll. They're Forbes. They're all these, all these credentials. And they would tell you, you are, you are wasting your time and money. Well, they can run their mouth all day long that they want. But the Supreme Source has already said how to handle finances. The crowd looks like they got all the money and all the pleasure. They make it look so good on the advertisements with the alcohol flowing. Marijuana stores all across the city. This is how you escape your problems. And all that happens is it compounds problems and busts up families. How about you go to the supreme source? who offers true, lasting peace. You may feel like, man, I'm homeschooling my kids, and but that 5A school or that 6A school, they could be doing so much better there. And I'm not, I'm not against public schools in that sense. There's a lot going on there that ought not be going on, just like it was when I was there. But I'm saying to those of you that homeschool your kids, don't feel like you're giving them an inferior education because you're rooting them in the Bible. No, you're rooting them in that which is superior. Just making sense right here. Because it's not just Jews that were, were struggling here with authority. No, it's, it's that we do as well. He's the God who speaks. Are you a servant who listens? You know, you know some, some of our conflict is not from ideas that are floating around and without. It's ideas that are inside of us. You get discouraged and you think, man, nobody cares about me. Hey, there's a God in heaven who cares about you. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He came and died for you and rose again and is willing to save you or has saved you. Hey, listen, don't listen to those thoughts that tell you you don't matter. No, the Savior says that you do matter and he does care. And when you're defeated and you're down and you're down on yourself and down on everybody else, hey, listen, listen to the Savior who cares about you and, and loves you and wants to help you. And when you're distraught and, and when you're overwhelmed by life, hey, he's greater than what's going on in your life and can sustain you. When you're deceived in your own mind and when you're in a disagreement and the only voice you're hearing is your own, you need to stop and listen to his. Listen to the Son of God because He's supreme above all. Let me, let me ask by way of conclusion this. Where does Jesus practically rank in your life? For some of you, it might be put to the test next Sunday night. Who's chief? Is he chief or is it your chiefs? Because he said not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And we plan to assemble next Sunday night. You say, that's not a very nice way to end a sermon. Well, it is a way to end a sermon. Because we can say all day long, he's Lord of all. And yet sit in your recliner while he's on his throne. 
Who's really king here? See, practically speaking, we've got a lot to think about. Where does he rank? Where does he rank in terms of your career, your job, and even family, and your sports, and your hobbies? Where does he rank? Well, we know where he ought to rank, and thus we ought to submit to his superior. Father, thank you this morning. Lord, we've considered this text and some of their struggles. And while at first glance it seemed foreign to us, like so obvious, it was a real struggle of authority and who would rule and who would reign. And so, God, I pray that as the pressure's on in the lives of your people, that they too would submit to the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ, the supremacy of Christ. Dear Lord, we pray that you'd help us to recognize you for who you are. And I do pray for any here today that maybe do not know him as Savior. As we've heard and seen, you came and died in our place that we might go free. And I pray you'd help each and every one that needs salvation today. It's in the precious and holy and name that's exalted above every name, the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.